Dave? Yes? Can you hear me? I can. We're Skyping. Matt, you're coming in loud and clear. You're yeah, we are. in yeah. Ireland. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I am right in South Dublin as we speak. What? By the way, I, 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 we haven't really told people what you're up to there. What can you say about this mystery I, trip? There's not much, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm working on... Uh, a, I'm 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 in a writer's room. That's all I can tell you. Ooh, and I know that you're spending time, as we, we all know room. from uh, from Instagram, that you're spending time with sweet, mm-hmm. sweet, sweet, sweet John Butler. Yes, friend of the show, John Butler. Our cousin I'm in fact of the staying show. across the hall from him. Uh, we uh, yes, we just uh, got back from uh, from dinner and a pint at oh. the, the low. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, it is fantastic. It is um, chock full of thick, pasty, rough boys. Uh oh. And I'm in heaven. And you're never coming back. Is that what you're? Talking? I don't know that I'm ever coming back. I might just send for my belongings and for Ben and Finn. Great. And because I mean, this is working fine. We can do this. We can do this this way, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I miss seeing that gorgeous head of hair, but uh, oh. we'll we'll take whatever we can get. You are much too kind, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's pretty heavenly over here. I recommend it. How is Los Angeles? Oh, it's very Los Angelesy. What can I say? We're mm-hmm. all just on our bullshit, you know. Yeah, marking time yeah. until you come back. Oh, you're too kind. Uh, by the way, we should acknowledge we have not acknowledged that there has been a changing of the guard here at Homophilia. We haven't. We, we have. Haven't. Our our dear beloved producer Dana Wickens, who ushered us into this world, mm-hmm. uh, has passed on. No, I'm just kidding. She is very much alive, <laughs> but um, she's you know she's got her hands full and she yeah. is producing a ton of shows and has has moved on. And we love her yeah. so much. And so the pasture's new, and uh, and she's going to kill it. Um, Dana, it has just been an absolute joy um and best of luck yes. with all the new stuff and all right in her place in her place kimmy kimmy she passed the baton to kimmy lucas who's here kimmy right died now. so kimmy could live uh kimmy welcome on board we're so happy that you're here and uh i feel like we're in such good hands and i feel very very lucky could um agree more. so hopefully we'll get her into uh the room with us and try to make her laugh and force her to chime in from time to time. <laughs> oh, it's happening, Kimmy. It's, it's happening. happening. So uh, this week, this is a very special episode this week. It's a super size episode. This oh yeah. We're packing them in. This two is uh, it's super size Thursday. Mm-hmm. Yes. First uh, two up, very special guests. Yes. The first of which is, uh, is a dear friend of mine. Somebody I've been trying to get on the show for a long time. His name is Michael Anderson. He is, um, he's a big, a music industry guy, and uh, and his his role within the music industry is, I think, really interesting. Um, he got his start about twenty years ago. He was working at uh, Razor and Tie. You'll hear more about this, mm-hmm. uh, but he was uh, working at Razor and Tie, and he had the idea for a collection, like a like a KTEL style collection, but of heavy metal ballads. And uh, and so he pitched it. Uh, they bought it. It became Monster Ballads, which I absolutely owned, mm-hmm. uh, and it exploded for him. There were multiple volumes. He went on to do many other compilations, and he sort of became the compilation guy for Razor and Tie. His next step 
was uh, he pitched an idea where what if it's the uh, the hot pop songs of the day, but with any problematic lyrics uh, taken out and with the vocals done by children. I mean, what's uh, and, love? That, and that was Kids Bob. And like Kids Bob uh, volume 73 or whatever has uh, just uh, hit the shelves. It is huge. There's a full... Uh, Kids Bop station on Sirius XM. Kids Bop is taking over the world. He's, he's a, a he's a mastermind. He's a mastermind, and he is uh, a gay father. He and his partner Jeff uh, adopted a girl uh, named Annika, who is gorgeous. Um, and uh, and I I just really wanted to get his perspective on parenting and the whole bit. Yeah, um, we now, had a great talk with this. him. And by the way, you should follow him on Instagram so you can see uh, devastatingly cute pictures of his uh, yeah. extremely cute family. Adorable family. It's Mandergram with uh, two M's at the end. I will say this. This one's been sitting for a while because we, uh, we talked to him and then, you know, our Matt Bomers and our Andrew Scotts came in. And, uh, and so we had like, they were tied to releases and whatever. So this one has been, uh, has been in the homophilia vault for a minute. Yep. So, uh, believe me when I tell you, uh, when Michael Anderson says he has his eye on a new song called o- old town road, oh my he's, God. Not saying, he's not saying that in August, 2019, he's saying that a few months ago, it was he was breaking that news. Before, if anyone August can believe it of all time. Yeah. So it, 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 I'm telling you, he uh, he has a golden ear, and you're going to hear him say he's got his uh, he he likes a brand new song called Old Town Road. It, it was when it was new. <laughs> and uh, after we go down Old Town Road with Michael Anderson, we have a second guest, which is old friend of mine, Daisy Egan, who is an actor and uh, is the youngest person to ever, youngest female to ever win a Tony? I believe she'll, well, she'll qualify that in the interview, but, uh, we shared the stage together several years ago, uh, in the Jersey Shoresicle, and she's now on the show, a good trouble. Uh, and it was just so fun catching up with she's her great. and she's, she's been on a big, uh, sort of transformational, you know, journey in her own yeah. life since I last saw her. So you'll get to hear all about that. And I, by the way, I she would, I should, Yes, big time. Um, and I love her, and I love this interview. And by the way, there's something I want to plug that I've been meaning to bring up, which is Bajillion Dollar Properties. I is, saw! Um, a show that uh, a friend of the show, Cool App Vlysak, created. Uh, and it was it used to be on CISO. CISO went away. And there is a whole fourth season of it that never aired, but it is now on Pluto TV. If you just look up Pluto TV, you'll find it. You you probably you may not know what Pluto TV is, but you probably have it. And the fourth season just started airing, and you can also catch up on the first three seasons there. And this is a show I wrote on. I don't know if I said that. I I even appear in an episode where I Ooh. I I wrote something where I I think the general the gist of it was I had forced Drew Tarver to flirt with me so it was one of those oh scenes. you talked about this yeah oh, um so people finally get to see that and it's uh, it is a hit parade of all of your favorite comedians and guest stars and people who have been on this show and all your other favorite shows very 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 earwolf adjacent mm-hmm. great so check congratulations i'm so glad it is seeing the light of day me too it is uh it is chock full of uh geniuses and dreamboats that's right um, 
All right. Well, let's, let's just get, get out of the way and enjoy Michael Anderson and Daisy Egan. Friends, we are back with Michael Anderson. How are you, man? I'm doing really well. I love this. Yeah. I love that you're here. Uh, just a little, little uh, by way of backstory. Uh, Michael is here in, um, in Valencia. Where, where have you I been? I was in Ventura. Ventura. Yep. Uh, in rehearsals for the Kids Bop Tour. The big Kids Bop, not just the Kids Bop Tour, the Kids Bop World Tour. Wow. Yeah. We're, we're uh, actually launching in London. Yeah. Ooh. And then we come back to the U.S. We're hitting Mexico, and uh, we've got more announcements coming up after that. So we're really taking it next level this year. How many kids? We've got four kids in the tour, uh-huh. um, and they're official Kids Bop kids um, that we've had for a couple years now. Yeah. Who, they're just – I was nervous going into this week because we're, we're using, like, Bieber's production company. Like, we're really raising the bar here, and I'm like, are we going to be able to do this? And I walked away from this so proud of these kids and really, really – I'm really excited about it. This is going to be a big deal. We're really cool. up in it. That's yeah. When are you going to be in London? Uh, good question. I knew you were going to ask me this and I meant to look it up. Uh, I'm not sure when London is, but it comes to the U S cause I'm not going to London. Oh. I'm going to, uh, San Diego. It starts May 31st. Okay. Then we do the Hollywood bowl. Oh, nice. On wow. June 1st. And then we're hitting Vegas on June 2nd. So I'm going to come to that run. I'm letting other people handle, uh, the UK and uh-huh. then I'm going to come for those three dates and make sure things are where they need to be. A kid's bop tour in Vegas. That's well, going to be amazing. That's right? going to be really something. Yeah. Uh, okay. Incredible. So you started Kids Bop, basically. Um, I, I, it was a conversation in my office uh, with the two former owners of the company. Um, yeah, it was a conversation in my office probably July of 2000. And it was just this weird idea that we were throwing out there. And uh, we shot our first commercial uh, at this really odd summer camp in Rockland County, New York. Uh-huh. And if you really want to get a kick and see how far Kids Pop has come, just Google that commercial because okay. it's the worst thing I've I, You know those pictures like that pop up from like when you're 13 years old and you're like, oh my God, this is bringing me back to like the worst part of my life. Uh-huh. Anytime something goes viral involving Kids Pop from like that era, it's like, oh my God, I can't oh, believe how bad this was. Yeah. And, and uh, the good news is we've come really far. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah, obviously. and you're going even further. You're spanning it, the globe. It's crazy. We're big in the UK now, and it's really shocking how immediate these kids in the UK became names there. Really? Wow. Yeah, it's just it's different there. I mean, you've got your the places where um, like the morning shows and everything. There's just fewer options there, and these kids are hitting all the morning shows, and people know who they are. In a different way than, than here. Here, people know the brand really well. Mm-hmm. There, they know the kids even a little bit better. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and before that, this is what I love. You uh, you created Monster Ballads. I did. That is my my big 20-year-old claim to fame. That's yeah. so incredible. Because I had that on CD. And I didn't, I didn't know you then. That's no, amazing. Yeah. not at all. Um, for those who don't remember, Monster Ballads was a, yes. it was like a KTEL compilation, but it was on Razor and Tie. Better than KTEL. Much better than KTEL. <laughs> um, but it, it came out, what, late 90s? Uh, it came out 1998 on TV. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And it was, uh, it was just all the hair metal ballads. It You're was. Nelson. You're Warren. Uh, You're, yep. uh, I remember you from Skid Row. Absolutely. We had, um, 
had a compilation right as I start. I've been at the same record company since 1996, which, which is insane. People in the music industry move on quickly, and I've somehow found this thing I feel ownership over, and I'm still with it. Um, but yeah, we had done this compilation um, that I did not come up with called Monsters of Rock uh-huh. um, that sold a million copies, and we were going to do Monsters of Rock 2, and I was like, really, all their biggest hits? What they would do is they would put out their big, like, quote unquote legit track first that was like the heavy rock track Mm -hmm. and then they would put out the ballad second and I was like all their biggest hits are the ballads what if we just did the ballads and uh, I remember one of my bosses thought it was the worst idea ever and the other was like I don't know this could actually you know let's try it and I wrote at the top of the page monster ballads not ever intending for that to be the name and three million copies later here we are once that happened, you know, I started in the mailroom. Then I was the assistant to the two owners of the company. And once Monster Ballads happened, they were like, okay, why don't you kind of yeah. start putting these compilations together and doing the commercials? And, and yeah. That's Jeez. so cool. And here we are. I'll be listening to some of those Monster Ballads on the way home oh my today. God. They hold up. Well, some do. Some do. <laughs> I, some of them actually really do. What's, What's your fave of them? Um, I Love I Remember You by Skid Row. Okay. Remember the first time hearing it, I was really into the Indigo Girls at that time. And the first time I heard that guitar at the beginning, I was like, oh, my God, is this a new Indigo Girls song? If you hear it, it actually yeah, kind of sounds like it. It does. Um, and no, it was Skid Row. Well, Sebastian Bach. Yeah. Lord have mercy. And <laughs> Brett is nodding a lot. He's, <laughs> he's into it. By, uh, I got to say, I'm going to share my proudest moment surrounding Monster Ballads was I was watching The Simpsons in probably 2000. And there's an episode where Otto, the bus driver, is getting married to Parker Posey's character. Mm. And she's walking down the aisle, and there's a band playing. It was a Poison tribute band called Cyanide. And as she's walking down the aisle, Cyanide starts playing, and she throws her flowers down and goes, you expect me to get married to a monster ballad? And runs off. And that was the moment that I was like, oh, my God. I've entered, like... Pop culture, like this is guys. Not yeah. only a Simpsons reference, but but quoted by Parker Posey herself. That is, I, it was like I, I it, it was not reality. It was pinnacle. amazing. It that's was really insane. really cool. Yeah. The thing that is fascinating about well, one of the things that's fascinating about you is that you like have an incredible ear for what's going to click and what isn't. Thanks. So I mean, it's it, it, you've said things to me like you've. Uh, Mentioned songs to me that were brand new, and you were like, this is going to be a number one hit. And I mm-hmm. would hear them and be like, I don't really hear anything special in this. But then they would go on and be number one hits. That uh, that song from Magic comes to mind. Oh, Rude? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. heard it, and I was like, this does not do a single thing for me. And yeah. then it, the like two weeks later, it was a number one single. What, Remind how do you, me what the song you're doing. It's, uh, um, oh, Don't God. make me sing. Yeah. Why it's you that, gotta be so Gonna marry her anyway. Marry her. Okay, now it's sing. fucking stuck in my head. Yeah. I was gonna even bring it up. Um, but you, you've been like a music obsessive for a long time. Yeah, I think you and I are a little bit of a kindred spirit in that way. And then so. growing up realizing that I was gay and not really having any way to talk to anybody about it. I just went to my own pop culture, pop music world and found um, glimpses into the outside world through pop music. And I think through that, and I'm also the youngest of six kids. Mm -hmm. So I was raised on every different kind of music you can imagine. Um, And I think because of that, I I really um, started getting off on like seeing like, 
oh, this song is kind of like where pop music is headed, and then I would be right. And it was really, um, thank God I ended up having the job I, I, I got. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, it was Destiny. Yeah. What, what was like the first song that you felt like was just yours? Uh, I know exactly what this is. I remember the first time, I must have been like 12, hearing I Just Died in Your Arms and oh, wow. heard that intro, that mm-hmm. like violin intro. Is it violin? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, and I was like, holy shit, this is a hit. And that song was number one like seven weeks later. Remind yeah. me what song this is. You're going to make me sing again? Why do you keep doing I know, this I'm just trying to get you to sing. <laughs> Dave's going to sing this one. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you, do, you would just like dive into the charts and stuff. Yeah, I... Um, you know, I didn't grow up with that much money. Five brothers and sisters. My dad was a teacher and had like two other jobs. And my mom worked in a factory. I had a paper route from the age of 12, 11 on so that I could actually buy some things. And my dad loaned me the $280. That's how much it cost back then for a year subscription to Billboard magazine. Mm-hmm. And that was wow. 1989. My dad loaned me the money. And he had a little three-by-five card where every week I'd give him money to like whittle it away. And that to me was like... That was my savior. It was Billboard wow. magazine, and every week I would like try to predict what was going to be just by looking at the trends. Try to predict what the chart would be the next week. Back then, it was it was easy because radio stations were just sub- submitting lists, and mm-hmm. and record stores were submitting lists, so it was so much more predictable. Right. Um, yeah. Things. Yeah. Things moved up and down in a way that a very, was recognizable. Yep. Like a song would have its twelve weeks. Yes. And then the next one would come in. Yeah. You know, this no, this no longer happens. Now uh, everything charts all at once. Yeah. I mean, it's things are so completely different now and so segmented. Right. Um, and for me doing Kids Bop and trying to predict what's going to be big four months from now, it, it makes it a little bit more challenging. I, I still pop radio is still, um, I think, the most common experience for everybody um moms and kids know the songs that are getting played on pop radio you look at the streaming charts it's not necessarily what pop radio is playing at all mm-hmm. um so it does get a little more complicated but um back when you were a kid what were there were there albums that you had to kind of hide because they oh would have God, outed yes. you absolutely <laughs> such as faith by george michael the best pop record of all time nice. i mean that's just Good music, but would would you have yeah. gotten abuse for that? I mean, I I had three sisters; they were awesome. Then I had two brothers who turned out to be awesome, but at the time they were like my two older brothers who like were really into sports and like. And I remember one time dancing on the bed in my bedroom, and I looked outside, and there's my brother outside looking up at me like, "What are you doing?" Mortified. Oh no. Um, so yeah, I think that you know my Wham records and my George Michael record. I was a little, little. Uh, protective of that sure not everybody knew there but you know they sent a code to the young gay boys wham did somehow even even though george michael wasn't quite out and andrew risley isn't gay at all right there was something i don't know there was some sort of secret something see i was so young when wham came out wake me up before you go go that to me it was just like this is an incredible catchy pop song and i remember thinking well he's there's something different about him, but it didn't really click. Once Faith came out, then it was like, oh, he's straight. He's right. obviously straight. But he's a straight leather daddy. Of yeah, some kind. yeah, yeah. In some way, he's just very like butt focused. Yeah. Yes. Butt and leather focused. Um, 
And it's funny because I, I, I remember at the time, it's like, well, I'm not attracted to him. Not, you know. And now I look back and I'm like, well, he was a good looking guy. I, I just, I was forcing myself to disconnect from those sorts of things back then, if that, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Um, but I was really into the music. Sure. Like really into it. Yeah. And it is kind of a way to sort of launder your gayness. In, in, you a, in a safe, subconscious way. Yeah. 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 You just sort of dive into this candy colored world. Right. Of like beautiful sound. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, what else? What, so we're talking mid 80s. Mid 80s. I mean, I'm all over the place. I. These are oh, not really gay records, but I. Um, the next big album for me was Edie Brickell shooting rubber bands at the stars. Sure, totally sure. different than Faith. Mm-hmm. That's not very gay. But then Indigo Girls. Hmm. Yeah. 1989. That's pretty gay. <laughs> That's pretty gay. And that was when, you know, I'm in ninth grade now, and then it's really speaking to me. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you seen Tignataro's bit about the Indigo Girls? No. No. Oh, it's on her Netflix. I won't, I won't spoil it. Just see her. watch her Netflix special. Okay. Wow. If you're an Indigo Girls fan, you must. Huge, yeah. yeah. So what's good, what's good now? What's going to be popular four months from now? <sighs> this is a tough question. Because a week ago, I would have told you all about this new song, Old Town Road, and now uh-huh. it's instantly number one. So it's like, it's crazy. I was telling everybody last week, I was like, do you know about this song? It's insane. It got kicked off the country chart. I don't get it, but it's amazing. Do you know the song? I do. I I've heard the first minute of it. No? You um, are going to have to sing this one, unfortunately. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, describe it. Uh, it's got like a, it, I mean, it's basically a hip hop song, but it's got country imagery the the lyrics are all about taking your horse down to the old town road and wearing wranglers and a black mat hat and it's bizarre and of course the kids about kids have already recorded it of course oh. so you're on that one oh, we're already on we're on it see that's yeah. what i love about michael anderson he knows a trend it's, before yeah. it happens what if we were to look at your latest spotify or apple music album or what was the last Search or last thing played? I've, I mean, because of my work, I don't listen to albums or it's all work. I'm, mm. I'm, my playlist is a 13 year old girl. So, Great. like, what? Seriously, like, I just, every, I mean, it's not even a playlist. It's just like, I just have to listen to pop radio nonstop. Uh-huh. And every morning I'm looking at the charts. There's these daily charts where you can see how many spins things are up. And through that, I'm able to see. I, sh- I shouldn't give away so much of this. Um, Too late now. I know. Uh, I'm able to see what's going to be a hit through intuition and also um, through seeing how many spins something is up. I, I've done this long enough that I can tell, like, if it's at a certain number with a certain number of spins up, I know the trajectory. Uh-huh. But there are but, other factors involved. You know, I've never asked you this. Yeah. I'm very excited about this. Um, we'll, we'll talk vintage and more recent. When were you wrong? What's a song uh, that you, a song or an act oh, that you're I, like? I was absolutely wrong once. Okay, let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> I'm sure I've been wrong other times. I'm kidding. Uh, my boss said this Gnarls Barkley song, Crazy, is going to be huge. Uh-huh. And I didn't get it because it was 2005. And to me, it sounded like Moby era 1999. And it felt dated to me. Mm. I didn't get it. And he was right. Mm-hmm. And I heard about it for a long time. I bet you did. I mean, we ended up recording it, but. Three weeks later. Sure. The, yeah. Oh, boy, the magic was gone. Yeah. Was there anyone that you thought was going to be huge who wasn't? Oh, my God. Um, the answer to that is yes, now that I have to, now I have to think of an example. 
there are plenty of artists that I thought were going to be huge that just disappeared. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to have to come back to you on that. Okay, that's cool. What else is on your pop culture diet? Is there a show you're binging or loving at the moment? Um, I watch terrible TV. Oh, let's talk. Yeah. I Get mean, I still it. watch Judge Judy. I record it and watch Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I will tell you, I've, I've met a lot of people in my life who are, you know, A, B level actor people. My husband's an actor. I've met plenty of people. I've never freaked out as much as I have is when I was in where I live in Naples, Florida and looked across the table at the Banana Republic and it was Judge Judy and I lost my mind and totally embarrassed myself. Did you say hi? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. What was yeah. she like? Uh, dismissive at first because I'm sure I was coming across kind of creepy. I was like, are you Judy? Uh, I'm sure she gets it all the time. Of course. Um, but luckily I was with my daughter and she was two at the time and my daughter is adorable and she was two and she looked at my daughter and she said, she's a good girl, isn't she? And smiled at me. So I, oh. I got a little bit of, you know. Wow. Yeah. That's she fantastic. judged her correctly. Yes, she did. <laughs> <laughs> reason to have kids right there is yeah. to get Judge Judy's stamp oh, of approval. If That's I didn't exactly have my right. kid in the stroller, she would have just walked right away from me, I'm sure. <laughs> wow. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you see the one? It was a couple of weeks ago. Brian Safi is all over it. Over oh, right. um, But it was, uh, it was two older women, and I don't even remember what it was that they were fighting about. But they, it, there were women in their 70s who looked like, you know, nice ants. Right. And, uh, and they were calling each other sluts and whores and stuff. It was, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's I can't really wait. great. I'll show you. It's I, I've, I've been busy for a couple of weeks, but when I get home, I'm going to have some time to binge. Yes, you will. Uh, what else? What other bad uh, trash TV? Um, Are you having to watch a lot of children's television? Yeah, my Netflix is destroyed. Of like course. I don't know how to navigate my Netflix anymore because I go on and every single category is kids now. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's a way to fix it and I can't figure it out. But like, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like I try to find what's new. It's all new kids shows. Oh God. So, yeah. How old are your kids? She's, my daughter is going to be seven in a few weeks. Oh wow. So yeah. does she know, is she operating it herself? Oh, she's and completely she's... doing it herself. Yeah. Like we tried to keep technology away from her and she took my iPad at like two and like knew how to do it. Everybody seems to try that. Yeah. And it never works. It doesn't work. I mean, yeah. we have certain rules we still stick to. Like you, if we go out to dinner, you're not on your iPad. It drives me crazy when I see parents ignoring their kids and the kids on the iPad. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to do that at home, though, sometimes. Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But if you're out. I have a conference call. It's like, you know, she's playing She's playing games on her iPad, at least, which are, like, interesting games. So Okay. Could be worse. All right. Not just zoning out to Peppa Pig. <laughs> like I am. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of the great shows of our time. We're going to zone out on our iPads, and then we'll be right back mm -hmm. after the break. We're back, and and we we uh, we happened upon a topic where we've all been wrong. Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah. How is she not a bigger success? I really don't understand it, especially with that second album. I mean, I remember hearing "Call Me Maybe," telling everybody about it. The song's going to be huge. Um, and it was the juggernaut that it is, and it's still one of those songs that everybody still knows. Uh, and then it kind of at that point seemed like, okay, she could be a one-hit wonder, but then that second album came out, and it was like single after single after single, and these were all really good songs, Yeah, and it didn't make sense. 
I don't know. I'm I'm confused by this conversation because I think I am a gay guy involved in gay Twitter. It seems as if she's like one of the great iconic stars she of our is. time. She's yeah. Robin. She, yes, she's but Robin. In, she's you're Kylie saying Minogue. in the real world, yeah. she's not that. Right. She's not for like her fan base is. 75 people and you know them all. Exactly. You know? Okay. So, so uh, yeah. There's I'm a just, very strong gay fan base. Right. Right. You know, just like Kylie Minogue had one big hit and a couple of minor hits and then was gone forever until Can't Get You Out of My Head. But people still loved her. Yeah. Other parts of the world and the gay guys still loved her here. But for some reason, pop radio was not feeling it. Uh, same thing happened with Robin. I mean, Dancing on My Own is one of the best pop songs ever. Yeah. And, and that's one of the songs that people really do know that song. They know it even better because of the Callum Scott cover of it. Do mm. you know that? I don't know that. Oh, you need to hear that. It's really? heart- heartbreaking. It's okay. just him on piano. I yeah. don't even know who that is. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, but that wasn't a hit. Uh, what was Dancing it? on My Own. Uh, the, no, it was not a hit. Definitely was oh. not a hit. Um, and it, sh- it really should have been. And then... Um, In the traditional sense. Like it didn't yeah, show yes. or sell a bunch. The one thing I do appreciate about whoever was working behind Carly Rae Jepsen is um, Owl City had a one-hit wonder with Fireflies. Mm-hmm. She had a one-hit wonder with Call Me Maybe. And they said, why not put these two one-hit wonders together? And they had the song Good Time that was a hit. I don't uh-huh. know if you remember that. I do. Was, I, I like that song. It was a good song. I like Fireflies, Remind too. me what that song is. You know that one. I'm just trying God to get damn it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you mentioned a husband. Yes. Uh, how long have you been married, Michael Anderson? Uh, we've been together over 15 years. Wow. So long ago that we, uh, I'm going to totally embarrass us now. Great. So long ago we met in an AOL chat room. Wow. Oh. Ago, yeah. Talk us through the first meeting. <laughs> what was the chat room? Uh, New York City Men for Men 2 because Men for Men 1 was full. Sure. It would <laughs> yeah. get full right up. You had to really be on it. You had to wait yeah. for somebody to drop out. Yeah. And then you get right in there. And uh, he actually, he was an actor. He was, um, still is an actor. He was uh, Zazu in the tour of Lion King, and then they asked him to be Zazu on Broadway. And his fourth show on Broadway, he busted his knee on stage because the stage on Broadway was shorter than the touring stages, and he was going to go into the orchestra and try to stop himself, and he totally messed his knee up. So he was out of the show for nine months. A week after that happened is when I met him. He was, like, bored at home on AOL. And I was working on a commercial and like sitting waiting for something to render back in the day. And uh, we started chatting and we chatted for a long time. And I'm like, this guy's actually really funny. And, and then, are there pictures and everything attached or is it just screen name? And Oh, there's the pictures where it like scans really slow oh, yeah. and it takes like 30 <laughs> seconds. And like at first you're like, oh, and then you're like, oh, yeah. Or it goes the other way, you know? It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we decided... Uh, at that point, I was commuting upstate, and he lived in. He had just gotten back to the city from from being on tour, and we decided to get a drink. And we went to this bar called Barracuda, which was there for a long time. I think it might have closed recently. I don't sure. know. Hopefully, it's still there. Yeah. And uh, we sat in the back at like five in the evening and hang out for a couple of, hung out for a couple hours, and then uh, he quickly got up and said, "I had to go." Yeah, he had to go. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, we thought this was going well." Uh, but it turned out he had movies with his ex that night and it was really awkward. So he didn't know how to tell me that. Oh, and then, uh, yeah. And then we started, it was the following week we, we started hanging out again. And then t- over 10 years ago, 
we last minute decided we were going to get married in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, because it was legal in Massachusetts. And at that point, we lived near Rhinebeck over the border. And uh, we, it, I don't know if you want to hear all about this, but we, um, at first, it, we were just like, let's just go get married. So we went and we're like, okay, this is like being at the DMV. This feels wrong. Mm -hmm. So then we decided we'll get his mom to be there. We'll get my parents to be there. Then he invited his two siblings and I have five siblings. So then we're like, well, we have to invite everybody. So in two weeks, we had to schedule a wedding. We had 40 people there. We got married 12-12-08, December 12-08, which turned out to be one of the worst ice storms in the history of upstate New York. People couldn't get there. The power was out. We had rented, our friends of ours had an 11-room little inn with a restaurant, so we rented that for all the family and everything. There was no power there. Oh, my God. We had to drive the Great Barrington through the mountains, and I'm not kidding you. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, but there was like an inch of ice and everything, so all the trees are down. They're hanging on top of wires, hanging over us. We had to drive around things. It was insane. Um, it, once we got to Great Barrington... It was rain. It was like 33 degrees instead of 32 degrees. So everything was good there. We got married there. Then we were coming back to near Rhinebeck for, uh, for the party afterwards. As I was getting uh, just about to get married in Great Barrington, I got a text message. And I'm like, okay, I have my phone on me as I'm standing up here. It, it must be an important message if it's this moment. And I looked and it said, the power is on. So the power had turned back on mm. in the venue. And we went back and it was an incredible time. Wow. And I wouldn't trade Beautiful. it. It was like such a crazy day that it was kind of perfect. Uh, so is the actual ceremony like in the courthouse? It was just Great a courthouse Bank? ceremony. Yeah. It was like some county clerk who did it who was really excited because she'd never done a gay wedding mm. before. She, she was the anti-Kim really, Davis. She was the, completely the anti-Kim Davis. She was so excited and into it. Yeah. And so in the meantime, you have uh, you now have a child. We do. We adopted, yeah, seven years ago. How, how did you talk me through the entire process? Uh, it's, a, it's a really crazy process. So we use an adoption attorney, uh, and the way this works is you have to get approved by whatever state you live in to be deemed suitable to adopt children, which is this crazy process that takes weeks, if not months, where they have to look at everywhere you've ever lived for 27 years. And Jeff, being an actor that had done a lot of touring all over the place, had to use Google Earth to figure out, like, oh, there's the theater. I used to walk down that block. Oh, that was my apartment. Because if you're wrong and they find out you're wrong, you have to start over again. Oh, Jesus. And you anywhere you live more than two weeks at a time, you have to document. Wow. Yeah. Um, so we started the process in August of 2011. Then in January, we got approved. And once you get approved, you hire this woman who um, sets up an 800 number in penny savers, just like the movie Juno. Remember mm -hmm. the movie Juno and women who are in incredibly bad situations um, because anyone looking to place a baby is in just a horrible life situation. Uh, they call this a hundred number and this woman in Connecticut answers the phone and makes sure that number one, they're not people just fooling around or looking to scam money. Um, and then secondly, are they okay with the gay couple? Mm -hmm. And then if it seems like a good match, she then turns them over to me. And it's like this weird, almost blind date situation where I'm talking to these women on the phone, um, and it's heartbreaking. It's incredibly, incredibly heartbreaking. Um, all of these women have just each one of them. You couldn't make up the scenarios that, that they're in. Um, and a lot of them fall through. Um, Annika's birth family, um, 
I, I honestly wasn't sure it was going to happen. And we had said yes to a different couple. There's this 16 year old girl who was this punk girl from Maryland who uh, her parents were divorced, but like, like they lived next door to each other. Everyone like really got along. This girl wanted to give her baby to a gay couple. Mm. And every time that the, uh, she went to the doctor, she would like call and I'd listen to the heartbeat and like, this was a done deal. And it was, the baby was going to be born in August and then our daughter's uh, birth mother was a really tough situation. Her, her mom was 14. And um, oh yeah, it was a rough situation. And they, they lived a, a you know, they, they had had a difficult time for generations had a difficult time. So in dealing with them, I just felt like, okay, this is um, probably not going to happen. So we really thought this other family was going to happen. And then our daughter did happen. Um, which was a, a really crazy event. Um, and then I called the other family a few days later and said, look, we actually, uh, we've adopted this beautiful girl, but if you guys are interested, we would love for her to have a sibling and we would love to adopt your baby as well. And they were all for it. And a couple months go by and two days before uh, August 18th, when the baby was going into the hospital to be in, induced the mother was going to be induced um this is like a soap opera you couldn't make this up so a nurse at the hospital put a stop to the adoption process because she said her son was the father and not who this family was claiming was the father so we had to do an in utero paternity test which cost six hundred dollars and i didn't even know you could do that and it was true so i was on the phone with this kid and i expected this kid to be like a mess and he wasn't he was incredibly articulate and said look my dad left when i was a month old and i'm not going to do that to this kid i understand how hard this must be for you like it was like talking it's like he was amazing um and then he said I, I have to go to my shift at dairy queen and i'll call you after with my decision and they ended up um i facebook stalked them uh-huh they ended up together and they're still together raising this kid wow. and it's beautiful like it's amazing i, I love that but it's just wow. so odd because, yeah, I mean, the future of this kid is just so different than it could have been. And it looks like he's, he's got a good situation. And it's just amazing that just the decision like that changes everything for, for somebody. Wow. Yeah. And so before Annika was born, was your understanding – what was your what was the agreement in terms of like how what contact or if any contact the uh, birth family would have? At first, they were not interested. And then as we got there and, like, things were happening, her grandmother wanted contact. And I, every step of the process, I, I honored her wishes every step of the way. And I, I ended up really um, – once we met them in person, we understood them. Like, I really get them. Like, she had a hard life, and I understand why she was coming across the way she was. She's protecting her family. Um, and we keep in touch through text, me and me and the grandmother. And uh, Annika has a brother, and we get pictures of him. And mm-hmm. she's really interested in seeing pictures of her brother, and she wants to meet him at some point. And yeah, okay. And has she met the the family? She has not. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. She, um, I'm sure, at some point, she's going to be very interested in her her family. Um, so far, at this point, she's just really into her brother, and tells mm-hmm. people she has a brother, and. Yeah. And how how is the brother doing? Because he's 
you know. He seems like he's good, okay. you know, as far as I can tell. Yeah. From pictures, yeah. And you did talk about this uh, in the New York Post, right? I did. Yeah. Was that? Yeah, that was a huge learning experience for me. Yeah. Um, and I still have a lot to learn, honestly. I could be saying things now that are upsetting to people. But I did a New York Post story, which the first mistake was doing a New York Post story because, <laughs> of course, they spun it into this crazy, fantastic thing, which, I mean, it was an insane story. But um, they also, it was this weird thing where th- this British woman wrote it, who's very lovely if you're listening, um, but she wrote it as if it were me talking, and it just did not sound like me at all. The way she spoke was not me, and it was putting, literally putting words in my mouth. She attributed quotes to you, or she, she wrote it in wrote first it person? in first person like it was me writing it, which like I, I mean... told to kind of a deal? Yeah. I completely, I would never, ever do anything like this again. Like, it was such a huge learning experience. It was awful. What about this was a story, just like you... Here the, the whole gay dad's adop- adopting. Um, they spun it into how much it costs. They spun it into. Um, I I had said a lot more about her birth family mm-hmm. than this story. This story is sensationalized. Like um, it turned it into a savior story, which was very uncomfortable. I see. Yeah. So that's part of the learning was that it 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 seemed as if you were judging them or something, even if you weren't. Yeah. And, and there are things that I learned, like, um, you don't say the birth mother, you say her birth mother. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. I was adopted. And I, yeah, yeah. I didn't know you can't say. Yeah. I didn't know either. So I, I belong to a train. My, my daughter's multiracial and I belong to a transracial adoption group on Facebook. And somebody on that also worked for the Huffington post and posted an article mocking my article line for line. Knowing that you were in the... Did not know. Oh. And it was the honestly one of the worst experiences of my life. I mean, I'm not about to... Obviously, all of the birth mothers involved have worse situations. I'm not going to compare myself to that. See, I've learned. But um, it was awful. I had, like, people coming out of the woodwork telling me, like how bad they felt for my kid being with me. Oh, God. It was horrible. It was the awful. The internet is uh, a cesspool. It is. Um, and now you're living in Naples, Florida. Yes. You're in Trump country, kind of. Yeah. It's definitely Trump country. It's, uh, um, yeah. It, how, how is it? Uh, we were a little nervous, two gay guys and their multiracial daughter moving to a very white, old, rich, conservative place. Um, and we weren't sure how it was going to go. And it's actually, as far as the gay thing, it's been completely fine. I think we've come so incredibly far, even in the last five years, it's amazing how far we've come. Uh, you've got a lot of old white, rich people who just don't want anyone touching their money and are willing to look the other way when it comes to all the other things that come along with that. Mm -hmm. As long as they think I'm going to get my money. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I'm sure it's easy to pretend these other awful things aren't happening. Yeah, if they're not happening to you directly, then... Right. right. Um, so as far as the gay thing goes, we've not faced a single problem. Um, having a multiracial daughter, I know that things will, at some point, we're going to have to deal with it. And I'm sure things are going to come up. As of now, there's no... I've not seen anything personally, and my daughter has not said anything to me yet. Okay. Mm. Are you kind of the token gays down there? 
are there other gay parents or gay couples or people? There are, I know of, there are not very many gay people there. I think that if you're born there, you move to Miami or New York or mm-hmm. wherever. Uh, there are, I know of two other sets of gay parents. Uh, Annika had one of her good friends was also multiracial and had two moms in school last year, but they just moved to Colorado. So that's sad. Uh, but yeah, there, there are some others, but we're a little bit, we're a little bit token. Yeah. Okay. People know who we are. Yeah. We're obvious yeah. <laughs> in the community. And are you getting roped into play dates where you have to do awkward hangouts with the parents and stuff? Like what is the school parents culture? Uh, it's funny. We, I, I, I am. So first she went to a really good nursery school uh, and her friends that she hangs out with outside of school are still those kids from nursery school. And my friends are still those parents. Mm. So, and those are the people who are like-minded and we've been able to carve out our space in Naples where I feel comfortable. Uh, we also sent her to a private school for kindergarten. And then we ended up sending her to the public school right near our house because it's more diverse. And that was the best decision we could have made. She's really, really happy there and it's right nearby and it's been a really good a good situation for us. Great. Yeah. And she's kind of an Instagram, Instagram star. She is. She, um, yeah. I mean, nobody would be following me if it wasn't for her. Probably. Huh. We, well, um, gorgeous. Thank you. It, it actually was because of Vine. She had a, uh, there was a video of oh, her yeah. blowing on a dandelion when she was two oh. with like dandelion fuzz. And she did this really loud inhale and it, was seen nine million times. It went wow. viral. Yeah. Yep. I completely forgot yeah. about that. Does she know that she's a social media celebrity? Does she have an awareness <laughs> of that? She, um, I don't think she does. She she's the sort of kid where like she doesn't want to see pictures of herself. Like she's yeah. like, eh. And I'm sure at some point, like she's not going to let me take pictures anymore. It's coming. All right. Yeah. Right. right. Well. So we'll see. And you know, it's translated into Instagram. I'm, I've. Got a few followers there. And then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we also, another crazy thing happened is right after the election, um, I just posted a note to all of my friends just on Facebook for the people who had voted for Trump and my concern about Pence. And me, it was a really understanding uh, note saying, look, I understand you want to change. I get it. Things need to be shaken up. But just so you know, and it kind of goes along with what I was saying before, this affects people. And I'm one of those people that this is affects and this is how it could potentially affect me. So please, if things get bad, stand behind me. And this thing went viral, yeah. like insanely viral. George Takei shared it like wow. it was crazy. So and the good thing I will say from that is I only got one negative message. I got thousands and thousands of positive messages and one negative message. Well, because you weren't, you, you, you were not posting a negative message yourself. My approach was different. My approach was more like, fuck you. And yeah. I'm unfriend, <laughs> I, actively deleting right. friends of 20 years yeah. because I mean, they voted for Trump. I've certainly done that since. Yeah. But at the time, I mean, I, that's always kind of been my approach to like, 
try to meet people kind of in the middle. It gets harder now. It's harding, harder and harder to meet people in the middle now. I'm having a really tough time with that, and I'm blocking people at this point. Yeah. But, you know, at that point, it's like, look, you may not understand this perspective, but here's my perspective, and you know me, and maybe you can understand a little bit where I'm coming from. So next time something is happening, think of me and how this affects me and other people like me and people who are in worse situations than me. Right. And hey, all, same goes to all of you Trump supporters listening to Homophilia. Can you imagine? Think of us. Just um, so what is the plan then for once Annika grows up? Do you oh. do you become the the sort of, you know, elder gays who travel the world? What do you do? We haven't really, you know, that sort of elderly oh married gay life is not one we've seen modeled. No, That's and true. you know, they're going to have to start having like facilities for older yes. people. There's going to be they're around. Yeah. There's, There's actually one not far from here. Really? Yeah. Triangle I'm ready to move in now, frankly. Sure. <laughs> Sounds like a delight. Yeah. <laughs> you get in at 32. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, what's have you have you thought it through? Are you going to stay in Naples? Are you going to That's a good question. I I'm surprised how much I like living there. In the day to day, it's a really good life. Um, I remember being in line at a Starbucks saying, "Oh my god, I live in the suburbs. I never thought I'd live in the suburbs. How did this happen?" Um, but having a kid kind of changes things and I get to New York. I travel a lot for work, New York, LA, London. And, uh, I get my fill of New York like once every six weeks. Yeah. And then I come back and live this beautiful life in Naples where it's not quite as expensive as living other places. Uh -huh. and yeah. But I, you know, who knows? We got to start, you know, 10 years from now, we got to be sending her to college and we got to start thinking about that now. So what was, uh, what was your early life like in New York once you were, like, out of school, working at Razor and Tie, uh, when you were a young guy on the go in New York City? You know, my 20s kind of sucked, to be honest. Really? Because, yeah, because, um, first of all, I, I dropped out of college, which I don't recommend for my daughter, but I don't regret for myself because I was paying for it myself, and I was at a frat school in upstate New York. Uh, and I followed my first boyfriend to New York who broke up with me when I got there. So it got me to New York, uh, but it was a really, I mean, I didn't know very many people. Did you have a place to live? I did. I lived uh, in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, with this really old guy who was 34. No. <laughs> Scary old generation gap. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, okay, he seems nice. He's awfully old, but okay. It's a nice apartment, not uh -huh. expensive. Uh, yeah, I lived in Carroll Gardens. I, uh, my first job was, there used to be this Japanese owned department store called Takashimaya on 5th and 53rd. And before I had moved to the city, I was doing landscaping for my brother-in-law and I was like, I don't have a college degree. I did landscaping. I guess I'll go to these florist places and see. And there was this really famous florist shop on the first floor of Takashimaya. And I got a job there, did that for a year. And being from upstate, you know, it was fun. I got to go to Ralph Lauren's apartment every week and deliver flowers. And I'm like, this is this is interesting. I'm just a, a kid from upstate New York. And uh, I, I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to get into the music industry. And my boss there uh, knew the sales manager at Razor and Tie. And I interviewed for a job in the mailroom, and I did not get it. And then uh, because a guy who I now I'm friends with since his friend got the job mm -hmm. and I went back to uh, my previous job for six weeks 
and had a particularly rough day where I was like, I can't do this anymore. And for the only time in my life, I quit on the spot. Mm. And I went home in tears like, what am I going to do? And when I got home on my answering machine was a message from Razor and Ty saying, hey, I don't know if you're still interested, but can you come work here? And it was like, I just needed to get through that other part first mm-hmm. before it was that opportunity was handed to me. And I called back and I said, I can start sooner than you think. <laughs> I'll come in tomorrow. Um, yeah. And I, I started in the mailroom and, and the rest is history. And now here we are touring the world. Touring the world. Yeah. And what was happening dating wise uh, before you met your husband? So I had a couple of years where it was not going well for me. <laughs> When I was first in New York, uh, I had trouble meeting people. I think it was harder back then. I mean, we, I went to bars. I slowly was meeting people I liked. Um, it was hard. You know, I was, I was friends with people I worked with, but they weren't really about to go with me to gay bars. Um, so it took a couple of years. And then I met my boyfriend, Andy, who I was with for five years, and he was manager of Wonder Bar in the East Village. Wow. And that was a scene. I don't know if you were ever there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we lived right above, uh, we're on the second floor, right above the DJ booth. Oh, my God. So And there were speakers connected right there. So it was like thumping till 5.30 every morning. And that was back when you could smoke in bars. So like smoke was somehow making its way through the floor. Uh, The bedroom, I literally, every like two weeks, I would buy another layer of carpet to lay down. (laughs) So you'd walk in and be spongy. Uh, But it was an amazing time. I could go down and get a free drink anytime I wanted. And I was in my twenties and late twenties and I was still able to function in the morning and go to my job most of the time. Magical. And, uh, yeah, that lasted for a while. He and I bought a house upstate and then, uh, nine 11 happened and I was like perspective and, uh, he was a great guy, but I was like, this is not what I see for myself. Um, and broke up with him. And then I was with this Turkish guy for a while, uh, who's now a modern furniture designer. He's got an empire. He's doing very well. Great. And, uh, then I was only with him for a year and a half. Feels a lot longer. And then right after that was when I met Jeff. So after, after a rough start, it, it picked up its pace. You made up for it. I made up for it. Significant relationships. Yes. And Jeff is is killing it in Naples as the artistic director of a theater company. He's the associate artistic director. Um, so he did Broadway for years. And then once our daughter got to school age, uh, he realized, I'm never going to see her. Mm. She's going to be 12 all of a sudden. I'm going to realize, like, I wasn't here because he was working nights and weekends. We were living in, outside of Rhinebeck and commuting into the city. And we, it was kind of an existential crisis for us of like, what are we going to do? This isn't working. I did not want to raise her in the city. Um, and he, I guess it was five years ago now, he had had a couple of months between shows and his agent called him up and said, you don't want to do a show down in Naples, Florida for a couple of months in January, do you? And with my job, I'm able to work from anywhere. And I was in the background, like before he could even say anything saying, yes, Naples, Florida, let's check it out. We went down and we kind of fell in love with it and we bought an investment property in those two months that we were there. And uh, actually what had happened is he did a show and the associate artistic director who was there was about to do another show as we were leaving to go back up north and he got kidney stones. And the woman, Kristen Corey, who started the theater 14 years ago, said to him, he's probably fine, but do you just want to like – 
look at the script and hang out just in case. And like a day later, he had to like, he was out. He was done. Jeff had, I'm not kidding. He had like three days of like before he had to go on stage. Wow. And it was the, one of the best shows I've ever seen him do. And that, I think, was the moment where the woman who owns the theater was like, oh, my God, I've never seen anybody do that before. And she started talking to us about, like, eh, would you want to come down here? And it, we were going through all that existential stuff, and it seemed like, okay, maybe this is something to try out. We'll see if this town can handle two gay guys and a multiracial daughter. Uh-huh. And so far, it seems okay. Has Annika expressed interest in singing or music or acting? She is the opposite. She, I actually, um, are, are, we've this, uh, global, uh, wardrobe stylist now and all the kids swap kids have these really cool metallic jackets with their names on them. And she made one for my daughter and I gave it to her for Christmas and my daughter looked at it and threw it to the side and wants nothing to do with it. Like there's something what? about her with what I do that she wants nothing to do with. And part of, me, part of me is kind of happy about that in a way. It's like, okay, yeah. she's got her own thing. I don't know if it's like weird that I'm working with these kids and it's not her. I don't know what it's about, but all she right. wants nothing to do with it. My husband has said all along, you can be anything you want, but don't be an actor. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's funny. I mean, she just did a play last week and she was great. But yeah, I don't think it's her passion. We'll see. She's seven years old. She's very artistic, very, very artistic. Yeah. So it's it's cool to see. What's the uh, what's the art community like in Naples? Who's who's doing the shows? Uh, it's an equity theater. Mm-hmm. Just like when they brought Jeff down, they bring all down New York top notch directors, actors. They are in the middle of building a fifty million dollar theater, which is another reason why we're down there because there's there's huge opportunity with that. Right now, it's in the community center in Naples, which in Naples, the community center is nicer than the community yeah. center you're picturing in your head right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in the park. Uh, and it's great, but there's you know there's a lot of people who have money there who love the arts, who want to contribute. And there's a lot of amazing people who are making this happen. And it's exciting. Good things are, good things are coming. Gregory right. Anderson, thank you so much for being here. This what a pleasure. Awesome. This was awesome. I love this. Cheers. Thank you. We're back with Daisy Egan. Hi, guys. Hi, Daisy. I'm really happy to be here. I wanted to start this by breaking into a song mm-hmm. that we did together, but I can't remember any of them. I can't remember a single. The only thing I remember is Bitch in a Bed. Bitch in a Was that a Snooky song? No, it was a, the other one. The other one. Jay Wow? J- uh, no, the other one. Sam. Sam. Samantha. Sam. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sammy. Sammy I'm just a bitch. Oh, yeah. Did you play Sammy? No, I played Snooky. Played Snooky. It's yeah. a plum roll. Yeah, oh yeah, it was really. I got to really chew into it. Yeah, it yeah. was fun. I broke a pickle over my head in my big soliloquy and like just shook it at the audience. Every night we would be, we would leave and we'd be covered in like orange spray oh, tan God, dripping and pickle juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there was one night I forgot that I had gum in my mouth, <laughs> and I took a giant bite of the pickle with the. It was bad. Wow. Yeah. Dude, we made out in this. I oh think, yeah, right? yeah. Yes, we had yeah. like tongue on tongue. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel uh, worst for I believe Angelina, Angelica, mm-hmm. Angelina, Angelina. Yes. She was the one that like left. She yeah. She trash bags. I trash believe they bags. called her because yeah. she, she left. Put all her clothes in trash Oof. bags. Yeah. She was uh, 
too grim for the house. Yeah, yeah. You know? she, she she had depression, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> yeah. they all had. Yeah. They were all self-medicating. Sure. Yeah, but all I, undiagnosed. I, yeah, know. I think for her, it was like the alcohol is just not fixing it. Right. You know? Yeah. Dave, um, did you know that Daisy, speaking of kids that we have sort of grown up in, is the youngest person to ever win a Tony Award? I did not know that. Well, now you do. Yeah. Tell me everything, Daisy. Well, actually, I always correct people. I'm the youngest female. Ah. There was a a boy named Frankie Michaels who won in 1969 for Mame, and he was like four years younger, four, four months younger than me. Uh-huh. And I've told that to people, and they're like, "Oh, who cares about that guy?" And I'm like, "Well, I do yeah. because, like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, Gets I, I don't have your uh... well, I don't want down the road for people to be like, oh, who cares about her? Yeah, like, let's yeah, all yeah. just have a modicum of respect. Sure. Um, How old were you? I was 11. Wow. Yeah. Set design. Yeah, I won for set design and sound. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was, I was, I used to be very talented. Mm-hmm. Um, but Frankie Michaels, this is really depressing. He died in 2016. Oh, shit. And they mentioned, he meant, they mentioned me in his obituary because, oh, wow. you know, we're sort of tied together from that trivia fact. And it was the most depressing obituary I'd ever read. Like, he just, he didn't have a an easy road. And he ended up like auctioning off his Tony Award to pay for his heart surgery. Oh, yeah, and uh, and then he died like a few months later. And I just I read this, and I was like, and everyone was sending me this obituary, like, "Look, you're mentioned," and I was like, "Please stop! This is awful." Oh no! Yeah, 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 well, yeah. This it, is a rough business. It really it is. Sure is. <laughs> but you've survived and thrived and been refreshingly, surprisingly normal. Well, thank you. Um, I suppose that's true. I, yeah. Right before I met you, or right around the time of Jersey Shores, you wrote an article that I'm going to screw. What was the title? The title says it all. Which uh, one? Th- th- you wrote an article about applying for a job. Oh, no. It was just a tweet. <laughs> it was, it was a, like oh, my was one like semi viral tweet. It was, uh, I have a job interview tomorrow for a temp job packaging human breast milk. Mm -hmm. I also have a Tony Award. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then the job interview got canceled, so I didn't even have the job interview. You've never packaged up that breast milk. I didn't. And somebody sent me a link to a Reddit thread uh, about my tweet. And it was like thousands and thousands and thousands of comments. And it was mostly about the U.S. economy. Like they just sort of went off on like, this is how the U.S. economy is. Except for there were a couple, of course, I'm like trolling through the comments to see if sure. people are saying, you know, mean things about of me. Um, and uh, there was one person who said, I think she's, she seems crazy. And then they pointed to another tweet that I had done recently that said, if, if I leave the house in anything other than jeans, I feel like a drag queen. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that definitely points to me being yeah, crazy. You're yeah. A- yeah. Like but yeah, that was uh, that was my shining moment on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now here you are, not temping, not temping for the moment. You're on. Are you are you shooting right now? No, we're on hiatus. You're on. So you're finished season two of Good Trouble. Finished mid. Finished the first part of season two. We're picking back up in September, late August, September. Great. Yeah. We had Sherry Cola, who plays your girlfriend, yes, on the podcast. Does. She's great. Yeah. Was it a fun time? Oh my god. Yeah. So we much fun. Did yeah. not care for her. No, no. But Dave and I had fun. She's hard to. <laughs> she's hard to get along with. She's lovely. <laughs> yeah. A dream. And yeah. you hated her too. I take it. Yeah, we can't stand each other. 
Like they're like action and we do our thing. Then, oh god, no, Back she's great. Trailer. She's she's awesome. She's funny and a delight to be yeah. around. Um, so now that you're on hiatus, at, when you're not watching Paw Patrol, mm-hmm. are you catching up on other shows or what's your pop culture diet? Um, late, like lately, the past couple months I've been sharing a bed with my son because we were like subletting a place and when he goes to sleep I go to sleep mm-hmm. so there hasn't been a ton of of pop culture happening and I haven't seen any mo- like I've I taught Toy Story 4 and Aladdin and sure all the greats Missing and- Link and please kill me should we see Aladdin um, I work for Disney. So yes, yes, hard yes. you should see Aladdin. Okay, great. You know, um, the Sultan is terrific. Uh-huh. Um, and Jafar I thought was terrific. Uh, uh, it's pretty to look at mm-hmm. and it's Aladdin, you know? Yeah. I've actually never seen Aladdin. Oh, really? Like the, yeah. The animated one. I haven't seen any of the later Disney. Those were what? like right in my pocket. Of, yeah. Yeah. Wait, yeah, so you've them. never seen The Little Mermaid or Beauty nope. and the Beast? Nope. Or, or Lion King. The Lion King? Nope. Dave. Those all happened when I was a grown-up. Yeah, you were. So I, I'm not going to go to the theater and see uh-uh. Beauty and the Beast. That was maybe, that and Aladdin, I think, were when I was in college. Hmm. Yeah, so that I've yeah. missed that completely. And people who were 10 years younger, that's part of, that was when they were children, and yes. you should see those things, yes. and it's like, it's That was the trifecta, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, and Aladdin. And then Lion King... I was like a, I was a little on the older side for sure. that, and it had like dead parents in it. And my mom had just died, so I was mm. like, I'm cool. Yeah, yeah you, you know. Can, but yeah. um, but yeah, Pen Fifteen is oh, like oh my God. favorite thing that's ever happened. It's so great. I mean, it's unreal. It's so goddamn good. I watched it in two days, and then I watched it again with my son's father in mm. one day, and he's like weeping. And that's the thing is that it, it, if it were just hilarious right. that it would I'd, I'd be fully on board i mean it was it's just so surprisingly emotional and profound and yeah i mean it's such a comment on like women's friendships and and what it's like to be a girl at that age which is yeah. like the worst possible age oh, for yeah. a girl um for anywhere anyone. yeah anywhere from like 9 to like 30 <laughs> yeah. it's really yeah a hard window yeah <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Oh, Russian Doll. I I got to see some of that. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I haven't been able mm-hmm. to see a lot. I'm I'm excited now that I have my own space that I can I can start watching again. Although I'm preparing go. shows for 30 minute musicals, so I'm That's right. I have to watch Top Gun. Oh my god. Um, I don't have to watch Jurassic Park again because I have seen that probably. 40 times. Can you explain 30-minute uh, musicals die for those, hard. those who have not? 30-minute musicals is um, we're a theater company. We take uh, popular movies and turn them into 30-minute musicals, mm-hmm. thereabouts, uh, 30 minutes. And um, I got connected to them largely through you, Matt. I'm so proud of that. Thanks. As I said, <laughs> they I'm were doing Hook, and you recommended me for Tank, and I, I went in and auditioned, and I played Tank, and it was incredible. It was yeah. so much fun with Tom I was Lank there and- in the er- earlier end because it's Tom Detrinus and Brooks again, mm-hmm. uh, who I was friends with. And so this was when they were just like throwing parts to their friends who can't really sing, including right. myself. And so I did a bunch of them. I did Ghostbusters and Top. I did a lot of like 
bro-y, Me- bro-y yeah, yeah. shirtless guy yeah. shows? Well, I'm playing Tom Cruise in uh, Top Gun. Oh, wow. Yeah. They've so. found their perfect Tom Cruise, I feel. <laughs> It's great because everyone's taller than me, including the women. So they're all just having to, like, lean. Yeah. It's great. Tom but- Lank is still playing... Kelly Tom is not. Oh, I oh, no. wish he was, but he's already doing two other shows at, at Fringe, so Got it. he's not available. Is Top Gun just all the volleyball scene for 30 minutes? It's a lot of the volleyball scene. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that incredibly strange Kenny Loggins song that during- Playing with the boys? Oh, my God. How about that song? The 80s yeah. was just a different time. Absolutely crazy. A different time. Now, that was right in my teenage wheelhouse. Really? That was when I was yeah. 14, so it was like- Oh, yeah. I mean, we saw it in the theater a thousand times. Yeah, so your idea of masculinity. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is very homoerotic. It's homosexual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Full, full just it's just porn it is mm-hmm. yeah rick rosovich all oiled up yeah mm. posing like shirt posing. But, but wearing like jeans yeah yes jean shorts right i, I don't I know. think just jean. wow i i think yeah no tom cruise full jeans um anthony edwards shirt jean shorts sure yep. sure and then, yeah and i think the other two but also just when jeans. he goes when he and when he goes to charlie's place right after the volleyball game sure. and he's like i'm gonna take a shower yeah like just yeah, like, what is happening here? someone you just met and started dating yeah up to take a shower yeah. yeah um i had my first kiss to that movie when i was like 10 wow yeah yeah and i was watching it again and i was like that's some hot kissing i mean it, it is. is like tongue out of mouth silhouette yes hot kissing yeah uh, curtains billowing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Very and Tony I thought, Scott. I mean, Tom Cruise. I mean, I just thought he was the end of the universe. He's yeah. so gorgeous. At, at his peak. Yes. At, at at a peak. At right. He's had a couple. He's had a few. Yeah. And yeah he's never this, really this other weird ugly. queer subtext to it, knowing that she is now full of fully out lesbian, and he is right. Whatever he is, he's yeah. a Scientologist. Uh, playing with the boys. I'm just gonna, just for fun. You're gonna queue up playing with the boys? Well, I'm gonna look up the lyrics. I uh, can tell you the lyrics. I'm man sure on we, we, man. Yep. Uh, playing, playing with the boys. Yeah. Body's working overtime. Uh-huh. Your money don't matter. The time keeps ticking when someone's on your mind. On your mind. Uh, it's man against man. And all that ever matters is, baby, who's ahead in the game? Playing, playing with the boys. Staying. Oh playing with the boys. Mm. Choreography is starting to come back to me. Uh-huh. It's all coming back. After chasing sunsets, one of life's simple joys is playing with the boys. <laughs> I mean, that story holds up. It, it checks really out does. It completely. Does. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. After chasing sunsets. Yeah, <laughs> there's a <laughs> boys at the end, right? Like uh-huh, there's like uh-huh, a, uh-huh. It's, it's pretty great. Girls play too. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're straight, we're straight. <laughs> uh-huh. No there, homo, no homo. There oh. was a, th- a moment in the show, I'm sure there's something where like it's, you know, it's all dudes like gratuitously chest bumping their mm-hmm. naked torsos together and stuff. And then like a few ladies come in and try to play and the music stops. Yeah. And everyone's just <laughs> looking like, at them like, the get out of, out of here. <laughs> yeah. And then the shower, you know, everyone exits to the shower. Yeah. So much showering. And Goose really, really just wants to, you know, hump Maverick. Wants to goose him. Mm-hmm, wants to goose him. It's terrific. <sighs> yeah. I got to rewatch that. Yeah. Oh, so you are, you're going to Edinburgh Fringe Festival with 30 Minute Musicals for 
For all of those shows? Yes. for We're doing a roulette so the audience can come in and vote on which show they want to oh, see wow. that night. So oh, we're yeah. preparing Jurassic Park, Die Hard, and Top Gun. Wow. And we have a feeling that Jurassic Park will probably be what's picked. Although mm-hmm. Top Gun, the other, the new one is coming out soon, so that might be oh, like right. on people's minds. Sure. Um, but, you know, Jurassic Park is just insane. It's insane. Um, and I play John Hammond and I look like Papa Smurf. Great. <laughs> just great. A white beard and a hat. And no a bad shirt, and a bad pants. Scottish accent. Great. Just a bad Scottish <laughs> accent. Great. So I'm gonna be very popular. Certainly. Um uh, and then Die Hard, I just sort of play like a random German terrorist and uh the principal from from the Breakfast Club. Mm, but then I'm fine. also doing another play at Fringe. Uh, a Steve Yaki play, and I'm playing four characters in that. And so it's it's I'm I'm rehearsing seven, no, four pieces right now, and like eight wow. characters. Yeah, so I haven't had a lot of time to watch yeah. things. <laughs> I mean, I, I the more you talk, I'm more I'm like, well, thanks for squeezing in the hour. I don't know how you are managing um, <laughs> to be here. Uh, why don't we take a quick break? Let's do that. Right back with Daisy. And we're back. That was a, that was a quick break. It was a very quick break. <laughs> I have to ask: Are you drinking pesto? I knew this was going to come up. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's a smoothie that I made. Uh-huh. Would you like to know what's in it? I would. It does look sort of like pesto. Yeah. Um, it is <laughs> so stupid. It's peanut butter powder. It's what? Peanut butter powder. Okay. Cacao nibs. Yum. Spinach. Okay. Mm-hmm. Organic berries. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, like this mix, it's like flax and chia and like cocoa and like coconut. Great. Yeah. And like coconut milk. I'm on board for it's all like, this. Yeah. Really it's like super healthy. It looks it looks super healthy. Yeah, I'm trying to get gonna... Spinach is the wild card there. You cannot taste it. Really? Yeah. And it is the the I think if I were to package this, it would probably be the second ingredient. I and that's the that's <laughs> the mark of a hardcore smoothie person is are they putting greens in there? Yeah, you have to have the you greens. Have Otherwise the greens you're just there. drinking. You're just fucking around. Yeah, you're doing jamba juice. You do look younger now than you did when I met you, which was like eight years, six, That's strange. years ago. Uh, Is well, it because I, of this? I drink the blood of puppies uh-huh. regularly. Okay. Also, it's very, if you put it on as a mask at, at the end of the night, it's really nice. Great. Um, I don't know why that is. I'm happier, I think. I think happiness oh. is, happiness and sunscreen. So why are you happier? Um, why am I happier? I think that I... I'm finally just being who I am. And it took took me many, many, many years to give myself permission to do that. You know? Yeah. I, uh, I came out, well, I realized I was like queer when I was like 12 and I grew up in New York. So it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't in Idaho. Um, and I was in musical theater. So I was around gay people all the time. Um, but it was still like the nineties and, I feel like today, 
if if my childhood were happening today, somebody would be like, let's write a pilot for her. Yeah. But back then it was like, you need to grow your hair and stop being gay because it's not going right. to help your career. Yeah. So I just kept, I kept sort of trying to go back there and I kept being pushed, you know, more toward uh, like, you know, femme land and sort of trying to live in that space and being very awkward and uncomfortable and not, you know, just not me. Um, I had a, you know, I had a manager who kept saying like, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight, and let's do this with your hair and this and this and this. And I'm like, I can do all that, but I'm still not going to look, I'm not going to look like what you have in your head. I'm still mm. going to be me. So they're still not going to hire me to play the cheerleader why don't we just lean into what my strengths are? Um, but I just had like bad luck with reps who I think sort of bullied me back into somewhere that I wasn't. Um, and a couple of years ago I met a woman and I fell very hard for her and she turned out to be a bag of nuts. Oh, wow. A bag of nuts. But, um, and where were you in your life at this point? Were you living in New York? I was, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I was sort of in between cause I was on tour and I met her sort of online, oddly, not through an app. Mm -hmm. And then I was, yeah. And then I kind of moved back to New York, uh, partially cause that's where the work was and also cause she was there. Uh, and that was a very brief and very fiery uh, relationship. But after that, I was like, this is who I am. And right. I can't, I can't, I have to be this way. Ironically, she also was very much like, please be femme, please be femme, please be femme. Oh, God. Um, did that realization coincide with what, with how, how did that line up with your relationship with your Kurt? son's father? Yeah. Um, we had broken up maybe a year before that. Um, but we were cohabitating cause I was on tour and I needed somebody to help with my son. Um, and it, my relationship with him is very interesting. It's, it's funny cause recently I said to him, it's complicated and he was like, no, it's not like yeah. it just is what it is. Um, we love each other very much and we have this kid together who's amazing and so we're cohabitating again, and I consider him a partner, um, uh, but not mm -hmm. <laughs> not my not my only partner. I mean, he is at the moment, but I'm available. <laughs> uh, Keep those DMs open. Yeah. So so I was uh, we were broken up. So I was I was single at the time, and I was very sort of surprised and taken aback by this by this woman. Um, but it was really sort of important for me. It was very important. Um, and then honestly, I, I just decided this is it. Like I, I'm too old <laughs> to, to not be who I am anymore. And if it's going to cost me work, it's fine because mm. I, I'm just happier this way. Uh, and I found a manager who is <laughs> known for, repping salty lesbians <laughs> and uh he has not once said to me anything about my appearance or he's the only rep i've ever had who has never said like you need to look like this you need to do this with your hair or your face or your weight or your anything uh he doesn't care um 
Yeah, your career has flourished since that, since this kind of transition yeah. in your personal life. Yeah, I cut my hair about a year ago again, you know, and everyone was like, you're pigeonholing yourself. You're not going to get work. You're not going to get work. And a friend of mine sent me the breakdown for this character on Good Trouble. And it said butch lesbian, which for Hollywood, I'm I'm a butch lesbian. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have gotten the part otherwise. Mm. And it's so ironic that, you know, we, we, we get on millennials' case all the time for whatever we get on their cases for. But the fact of the matter is, is they're the ones that are expanding um, the palette, I think. Like, TV now is so much more diverse, and I think just the younger generation is so much more accepting. And so it took 30 years of being in this business and a bunch of kids, basically, for me to be like, oh, I can just be who I am, hmm. and basically playing a kid again. Yeah. Um and the the creators and the showrunners of Good Trouble and the EPs are also 100% like you are who you are and you're perfect the way you are and that's the end of the discussion. There has never been – I don't think for anybody on that show, there's never been any discussion of like can you, can you do this or that with how you look, um, which is so different from a lot of our experiences in, in this business, you know? And over the course of season two, your character starts to discover and come out again. To I mean, come out to Sherry Jerry's character yeah. as non-binary. Yeah, in the first episode of season two, I came out as non-binary. And when when they sent me the script for that, I I called Bradley Bredewig, the EP, immediate, immediately, and I said, "Are we concerned at all? Because I'm not non-binary." Um, and I said, "You know, I'm not obviously I'm not Scarlett Johansson. Like, I don't think there's going to be pitchforks coming for me, but." you know, is there any concern? And he said, no, we discussed it. And um, we feel like you're the right person to represent this. And I spoke with some non-binary people in my life. And I said, what do you think? And their feeling was I already had the part. It's not like they wrote a non-binary person and then went and cast somebody who wasn't non-binary. But also, I have been dealing with my own sort of path of, of identity and trying to figure out where I fit in in that in that binary so it's it's interesting timing you know joey is is trying to discover it at the same time that i am and where are you now uh, you know on, on that path yourself um i don't know i don't know uh it's hard because i i know i don't identify as a male like that's a hundred percent certain. In some ways, I feel like I identify as female because I uh, have always rooted for the underdog. But if you were to say to me, like, "What does it feel like to be a woman?" I don't know the answer to that. And I know that there are there are trans people who say, like, "I do not feel like the sex that I was assigned at birth." I don't know what that f feels like to be that opposed to what I was assigned to. I'm right. okay with the fact that I was assigned female. I know that I don't fit into the, like our culture's definition of woman or female necessarily. But I don't know that that means, it's so complicated. Yeah. You but know? it makes sense that you are ident that you identify as queer because it can encapsulate all of those, you know, 
complicated and evolving yeah. feelings. Yeah. It's it's way more complex than than we know. You know? Yeah. I think at this point in this moment I would say that I identify as a non-binary female. And I don't know if that's just because I know that I don't again like fit into the culture's idea or because I I don't have like a strong pull toward being a female. Hmm. I don't know. It's so weird. I mean, not that weird. Yeah, it's, it's not, not that, that complicated. No. Uh, yeah, 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 I guess. Um, and so you are with Kurt, but also available. Yeah. What what else is doing in the the dating realm? <clears throat> um, I had a partner for about a year, uh, and we were long distance. Um, it was while I was on tour. This is after the the woman we were talking about. Yeah, after yeah. after her, I went sort of bonkers for a few months and just was like trying to just fill my dance card. Wow. Oof, I've got some stories. How did uh, you do? What, were you using the uh, the apps? Or yeah, just went to bars. Yeah, I was on apps. I can't do in person because when I f- see somebody attractive, I literally run away. <laughs> like run away. Uh, and I also never understand that someone is flirting with me. Like, mm-hmm. I just think like, oh, this person's friendly and take someone else to be like, they're trying to get in your pants. So I'm not good at that. <laughs> um, so yeah, apps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I was like a teenager, sort of, again. You were making up for lost time. We all do it. I was. I was making up for lost time. And then I met um, my former partner on an app when I was in Seattle briefly with the humans tour. Uh, and I was looking for something. I was like, I'm just in town for this amount of time. I'm not looking for a thing. I just want to have a good time. And it ended up being like a little bit over a year. Um, but ultimately I think I thought long distance would be like easier. I thought it would just sort of and polyamory because they had uh they're married. So I just sort of thought like, oh, the pressure will sort of be off of me. But it ended up being um t- too much work uh to make the long distance thing work. Hmm. Um you know, it takes a lot. I'm not good. I don't like being on the phone very much. Um so I you know, for me long distance is not it doesn't work. Um and also polyamory is takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of like honesty and communication and like boundary setting and being very, very clear about what you want and don't want. And at this point in my life, I just don't have the capacity for that. I don't have the time or the or the capacity. I have my career, my son, and my partnership. And I feel like already I'm my I'm yeah. I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> um but someday I'd like to, you know, date again. And was <laughs> this partner was this sort of your first foray into polyamory? Uh no, but it was my first sort of he- healthy foray into polyamory. You know, the last time it was sort of like one of those don't ask don't tell things mm-hmm. which doesn't work and mm-hmm. um you know, one por- partner was sort of more on board than the other partner. Um, but, and that was like 10, 10 years ago. Uh, so yeah, it was my first like intentional foray into it. 
And so now would you are you do you identify as poly, but you're just sort of just sort of non practicing? Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Um, right. Just just because of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I spent a lot of time talking to my therapist about this. I'm like, I feel like a queer person that's suddenly in a monogamous relationship with a cis male. <laughs> and uh-huh. it doesn't I'm a little uh, concerned about it. But it also just it just is what it is, you know. We yeah. are who we are, and we love who we love. And I love my son's father now more than I ever have. Wow. Um, I think we both just sort of needed to like evolve, uh, and we have a lot. Growing up in in the world of theater, yeah. Did you have? Was there someone living a life that you were like that is? That's my life. As you were beginning to sort of develop a queer identity, even Not, a character, right? Like real, real or fictional? Was there someone? Uh, not, not overtly that I could point to back then. Like not no. somebody who, who, at that age, I could look at and be like, "That's who I aspire to be." I don't feel like I knew a lot of lesbians back then. I don't know. Uh, maybe John Cameron Mitchell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew, I certainly knew a lot of like very out, very femme, boisterous gay men. Um, and that seemed like, it seemed like they were having fun. <laughs> yeah. um, but no. I, I don't think I did. And And back then too, in the 90s, it was still that like you're gay or you're straight, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Yeah. And it, I mean, it even took me until recently to be like, okay, I guess I'm bi. And even now I say that and I'm like, that I'm, that's weird, but I, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But I can't think of anybody that, that I could look at at that point and be like, yeah, that's, that's who I aspire. That's right. the kind of life I aspire to. So you're kind of figuring it out completely mm-hmm. on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're 11 years old. Yeah. You win a Tony, uh-huh. Secret Garden, which, by the way, first Broadway show I ever saw. Aww. We tried to do the math, and I think that I saw Daisy. Yeah. But it may have been a replacement right after the fact. But I also um, had an alternate who went on yeah. two nights a week. So I'd like to believe that it was Daisy. It was. But was she incredible? Uh, yeah. Okay, then it was I me. mean, I bought <laughs> all of the merch and took it home with me. Did you keep the playbill? I gotta ask my mom. I, I'm sure we still have the playbill. Wow. Sure. And we had the fancy, the the like glossy, oh, the, bigger yeah. book that came. Um, I forget what I was gonna ask. Well, so what was life like after the Secret Garden? Well, I left the show about a year in. Uh, my mom was very ill, and I had the way that my life had been was I would get up very early. I would go into. We lived in Brooklyn. I would go into Manhattan to go to school. Then I'd have a few hours of a break. And for some of that time, I was going uptown to visit my mom in the hospital. And then I would go to work. And I'd get home at midnight. And I'd start it again. And it just was unsustainable. Mm. Um, I was exhausted. And so I left the show mostly because I I wanted to have more time with my mom. Um, So she died about a year after I left the show. Um... And that was a, you know, I was like, I 
I think a few months after she died, I got my period for the first time. Like it was a really intense time. And also my dad came out as a crossdresser right before my mom died. Oh, wow. So there was a lot going on. Uh, and, and I was trying to figure out who I was and, um, you know, I worked, I kept working, which in retrospect, like I probably shouldn't have, I probably needed a break, but it's also sort of all I knew how to do. Uh, my entire identity was wrapped up in, in working and, um, and that's where I got my validation. I'd been so like horribly bullied in school that it was such a juxtaposition for me to get all this adoration on stage. So, um, yeah, I I kept working and, and I also like when you, (laughs) when you win a Tony award at 11, it turns out it does funky things to your brain (laughs) and it really sort of makes you believe like, Oh, well I don't have to try at this anymore because I'm, I'm the best. I have this award that shows you that I am the best. And so I was very cavalier for a long time uh, with my craft and with my art. And I, I wouldn't prepare and I, I, I'm sure I had a, you know, attitude. Uh, I was also angry. I was a teenager and my mom had died and my dad was doing his thing. I was mad. So it was a, it was a wonky time. Um, uh, <laughs> Yeah. And I, you know, I started high school and was trying desperately to sort of fit in with my friends at school, but I was so different. And, um, even, even though my friends at school were like the, the weirdos, I think I felt like I was even more weird. Um, so yeah, it was a strange time. And then I ended up leaving high school a year early to go to college. Uh, I think just so that I had something else to focus on, you Mm. know? Uh, when I think back on that, I'm like, there was a campus full of like 16 year olds who had zero social skills and clearly like too much privilege and money. It was, we were all a wreck and there was a lot of like drugs. (laughs) Um, but Ronan Farrow came out of there. So, so, Uh so they clearly were doing something right. Uh, And Daisy Egan. Um, and Alison Bechdel and. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of what life was like. Um, I, you know, I, I did a soap opera for a minute. I honestly, to this day, I can't remember how long I was on the show. I don't know Which if it one? was like a few weeks or like a few months. Uh, another world. Wow. And again, like I wasn't, I had no technique, I had no work ethic. And I remember one day, one of the producers, stopped me in the hallway and had this sort of talk with me about ethic, work ethic and, and being prepared. And I was so, you know, full of myself at the time that I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh huh. You're going to tell me how Mm -hmm. to do my job. And it wasn't until years later that I was like, yeah, yes, he's going to tell you how to do your job because you're not doing your job properly. Yeah. Um, but it just took me a very long time to, you know, to learn those lessons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. You're doing your job properly now. That's well, thank sure. you. It's, it's been a lot of learning yeah. and a lot of therapy. I think everyone should be in therapy. I, oh, I do too. Absolutely. I think it should just be, be more. a mandatory 
Uh, yeah, I think of it like going to the gym. It's like you don't have to do it, right? But it's certainly better if you do. Yeah, and you're gonna be better off. No one's exempt from those needs. No, no. Even when things are going well, I think it's just a good idea to have somebody to bounce things off of. Yeah, yeah. You know, and also we all have like crap that we need to talk about. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been through some crap. Yeah, I've been through some crap. But it does feel like you're on the other side of it in so many ways. It's so it's so cool to see you after all this time and see there's a there's a new there's a new light emanating yeah. from you. Thank you. I think I, also having my son was a big deal. I mean, obviously, yeah, duh. yeah. But like, I feel like for me, because I I didn't plan on having kids. It was an accident. I found out very late, and not very late, but like 10 and a half weeks in, and for whatever reason, we decided to go forward with it, with the pregnancy. And I feel like once I had Monty, my son, I sort of got like a clean slate. Hmm. It's sort of like all of the all of the stuff that I had gone through for the first 33 years of my life, and all of the like, quote unquote, bad choices that I've made or mistakes or things that I had regret over, I could just let go because I had, I had to do all of those things in order to get to Monty. And so in that way, he's, he's given me this gift of like, okay, now you get to start over uh, and be grateful for all of the garbage and the pain and the bad, bad decisions. Um, And now maybe live more intentionally and and try to make better choices. Um but yeah, I'm I'm certainly happier I think than I've than I've ever been. So that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and how old is Monty now? 6. 6. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's bananas. He's and he's also like I know that every parent says this. He's incredible. And I don't know kids. Like I don't mm-hmm. have any reference. People are like is he more this than other kids. He's more that I'm like, I have no idea, not a clue. Um, but other parents of children meet him and they're like, yeah, he's, he's Mm. the one he's just so filled with joy and exuberance and curiosity. And like, I dropped him off at camp this morning and everyone was like, Monty. Mm. And like, he just, he loves everyone. And we went to grand central market the other night and there was some guys playing Mario Kart and he just walked right up and like started chatting with them. He was playing Mario Kart with them and he plays the drums. He uh he plays guitar. He's a terrible draw like he can't draw for shit. He got that's what he got from me. Mm. But his dad and I will look at how exuberant and happy he is and we'll both be like, where did this come from? It's like it's he's like from another planet. Yeah. Um but he's and thank God he's very adaptable. We've we've shuttled him back and forth across yeah. this country like eight times and he's he just goes with it we moved to this new apartment uh like this week and to, this morning he said you know when we first moved in i didn't like it because it smelled like paint but i like it now <laughs> like great it sm- still smells like paint yeah. and we have no furniture but you're awesome wow yeah we're very lucky he's very lucky too well thank you um, Daisy, thank you so much for doing this. My so absolute much. pleasure. Thanks for having me. Please come back. Anytime. And um, excited to catch up on Good Trouble. Yes. And Tuesday nights at 8. If anybody's going to the Fringe Fest, make sure you go see 30 Minute Musicals uh-huh. and The Sleeping Giant. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun. I like 
Only Thank one you. will feature volleyball. That's correct. <laughs> Am I right? Okay. Good. Thank God. Thank you, Daisy. Thanks. Thanks.